one. Empty set for Mason Nias here. First and 10 from his 35-yard line. Ball in the middle of the field. Takes a shotgun snap, and Nias looking out here to the left. Nias steps up in the pocket under pressure. Hit as he throws. The crossing route is complete across the 50, and they're going to mark him down to the 50. The guy who had alligator arms early has a touchdown and is making the tough catches now. That's Jesse Coons. Thanks for checking out Growing the Game with Ballsy. This podcast is dedicated to preserving and growing the three-down game in Saskatchewan. That's how it started, but I'm expanding the focus to across Canada. In fact, once a week, we're doing a Restore the Roar installment where we look at football in BC, primarily the Lions, but we also build up the amateur game there too. You can check out our first installment right here at Growing the Game with Ballsy. Thanks to these great sponsors, Paul Waldo at Royal LePage in Regina, Face First Medical Aesthetics here in Regina, AGT Foods, Gear Up with John Ryan Foundation, Mark Greshner Photography, Advantage Collision in Saskatoon and Prince Albert, and Doubles at Ag Sales in Weyburn. This podcast coming to you from the Regina Sports Performance Center studio. Go check out their great facility in the heart of the Queen City here at 1440 Broadway Avenue. And all our guests come to you via the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. Hammer Time Roofing, the only five-star certainteed roofer in Saskatoon and surrounding area. Give them a call at uh, 262 Roof and tell them Ballsy sent you. And we're coming to you from the Regina Sports Performance Center studio and heading out on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline to speak to my old Rams teammate, a guy who's been on here before, the First Nation sensation, Wave Will Starve. You still recovered from that people's elbow I gave you way back in the day? <laughs> Not quite yet. You know, physically, physically, I think I might have recovered, but uh, emotionally and career-wise, never. No, you could, you could, ne- you could never. You still have, you still have in-ring PTSD. Hey, uh, uh, Wavell, uh, you're going to be my uh, guest referee for the big uh, boxing match you have with Mark Johnston. It, it officially goes September the 25th, a Saturday night, and we're doing it for mental health. So that's a great cause. Thanks for getting in the ring with me again. I cannot wait, man. You know, I, I love when you do uh, the stuff. You, you've always been a great performer. Performer, You're a great athlete, and especially when you get uh, involved with the community behind a great uh, cause like that. So totally looking forward to it, man. So I'm uh, calling you to talk about a few things. First off, as we talk, you're in Meadow Lake, an ID camp for your son for hockey. What's the best thing uh, about being a dad? Uh, the best thing about being a dad, uh, right now, okay, let's say today is the point where I'm realizing that uh, it really is just a matter of, like, he's grown up. Like, throughout his whole hockey career, it's been, you know, drive him to the rink, drop him off at the door, walk in with him, register, walk him to the dressing room. Well, you know, well, not in the past few years, of course, but, like, now I'm really, really, really uh, uh, realizing that because he's, like, 6'2", 211 pounds, so he's taller than me, he's heavier than me. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's really something to enjoy, uh, especially now that he's really getting to that point, and you will totally understand uh, what I mean mm-hmm. uh, when they're getting older, right? It's not it's not just the the young the young the young kid sports. He's getting a little bit older uh, in that high school age, and I'm really excited to really sit back and enjoy the ride. I agree with you. It really struck me too how much our parents probably were stressed out about a whole bunch of things that we didn't really think about when we we're kids. You know, they just have. You know, yeah. I, I always joke with my son. My mom always used to say, "Hey." My dad used to say, hey, you're going to wish one day that all you had to worry about was going to football and chemistry uh, exams. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to study for this test. But my God, were they right. There are stresses that our parents were under that we didn't even know about. Do you agree with that? Oh, 100%, man. 100%. You know, my dad really worked hard. 
um, to get where he was in life. And, and because of that, you know, I, I, I really felt that in, in some way I was privileged in a sense because I didn't have to face a lot of the barriers that he did because he really uh, blazed that trail. Uh, and now that I'm older and exactly like you say, now I can see it uh, thinking back. And I guess, you know, you feel a little bit like a goof, right? <laughs> but part of it is to realize that, that that's what dads do. That's what dads do. And it's my turn to do the same thing, right? For sure. And you're a great role model, not only to your son, but also to other kids and you're trying to uh, help out other kids coming up here in August. Tell us about this way. Well, this is a great initiative. Yeah, for sure, man. So I partnered up uh, with Carlin Nordstrom. He's actually the owner of uh, Kisik and uh, he started putting on hockey camps a few years ago and then we started having some conversations about how uh, beneficial it would be to add a classroom component uh, with not only the athlete but with the parents as well so that we can uh, address some of the things that they're going to have to uh, recognize and be aware of if they're going to want to uh, advance in uh, elite level sports um, so we get together and we tell them some of those things that they need to know because a lot of these kids may be coming from a community where they're you know the head head over heels the best player on the team and then maybe they get to a place where now they've got to compete uh, and facing some of the issues that they you know that are unfamiliar to them so we're hoping to get together and uh, not only teach them on the ice but to provide some valuable instruction uh, for off the ice so he calls those the uh, maximizing your potential camps uh, and he's got some hockey guys looking after the hockey stuff, right? So we've got uh, John Morasti, mm-hmm. John Nasty Morasti, uh, an enforcer in pro hockey. And I got to see how he connected with the kids. And they were so receptive to him. And, uh, you know, it really made me believe that, hey, the, all of this stuff that we do and any time that we try and help people out, that uh, it's definitely worth it. And the one thing that I'm trying to really focus on moving forward, uh, in light of the recent events, uh, I guess there's been some uh, not only events during this, uh, the hockey seasons in regards to some racist incidents, um, but it really came to the forefront recently when uh, someone even as popular as uh, – Ochapoy's First Nations own Ethan Bear, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Edmonton Oilers. So I think um, even though uh, there was a lot of negative uh, that came about that, I think that there really was a positive, and that was the fact that other Indigenous kids could say, hey, this happens to Ethan too. And when he went out there and you know talks about how uh, some of the things that he did to deal with it throughout his career and what he does to deal with it now... Um, you see that happening, and you, and, and you really see that this is really worth it. And I could see that some athletes, uh, you know, us, us old heads, man, we've got, we learned a lot about uh, life from the locker room culture, and I think that we can really give back. And I'm looking to uh, really increase Indigenous awareness, and right now uh, reconciliation is a really big thing that we're talking about, and uh, I think now is a great time. So uh, Carlin and myself uh, are starting to develop the Key Sick Indigenous Awareness Training and Reconciliation and Sport Initiative. Um, so what we're trying to do is to try and help leagues, teams, sports be proactive uh, in uh, increasing Indigenous awareness which would hopefully reduce the amount uh, of some of the incidents. And then also, if there are incidents where there's uh, penal- penalties and uh, uh, suspensions and those types of things, uh, we would be willing to come in, uh, increase the awareness, do some um, mediation, and uh, whatever it is to provide some sort of a path to rehabilitation. Uh, because that's, that's the most important part. Uh, first of all, just identifying it and, uh, and penalizing it, but, but more importantly, trying to provide a, a road to uh, rehabilitation. So, that is what has really caught my 
my attention uh, recently, in addition to all the other stuff, of course, the, the wrestling and the, mm. the football stuff going on. So much going on, man. It's, it's just really nice to be involved. And it's nice to be back doing sports of any kind after this pandemic. We'll get to uh, some of the details <laughs> where people can uh, get involved with this. But I want to ask you, because I was your teammate for a few years, and fortunately I was raised to never look at anybody's skin color. You were a wave star. I never really thought... Good or bad, I never really thought about your background because it didn't matter to me. Do you know what I mean? It didn't matter to me in the sense that I really didn't care if you were native, if you were from Mars. You were my teammate. We came under, you know, we fought for the same thing wearing the same uniform. And I've said this many times to many people, whether it's a football locker room or a hockey locker room. If we could take society behind the doors and just see how everybody comes together regardless of religion, sexual orientation, yeah. skin color, heritage. Yeah. Uh, I, I just wish we could get that into broader society. Yes, totally. That's exactly uh, the, the way I feel about it. And, you know, it's funny, man, because uh, I was thinking about this, talking to some of the uh, uh, the fellas earlier. It's like, you know, we all came from really different areas when you think about it. And, and there's probably some of us on the team that maybe never would have uh, you know, been in the same social circles if mm-hmm. it wasn't for for playing football. But then, you know, like you said, we, once we all get on a common page and we're the same team with a common goal, then you start breaking down these barriers. And then, you know, it, 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 some of the best friends that I that I had on the Rams, I will say that, like, if it wasn't for football, I probably never would have been, uh, you know, in in the same social circle. And I'll I'll, I'll say like Randy Sutinsky or Stevie yeah. Ren, they, they were two of my closest friends when I was with the Regina Rams and we would speak about spirituality and tradition and, and, and things like that, really deep conversations that, you know, you never would have really expected if people would have just seen us in grade 12, you know, they would probably just assume that we would just compete with each other on the sports field uh, without having that sort of a bond, you know, but like you said, sports really breaks down those barriers. And if the world would let us lead and take our, uh, you know, follow us, uh, I think that we could uh, try to make the world a better place. Hey, did you face racism, though, when you were a younger kid coming up through the football ranks in your sporting activities or in wrestling? And the second part to that question, has it gotten better? Yeah, uh, okay, so uh, a few, yes, the the first time that I remember it uh, most notably was uh, I was um, on a hockey team, uh, uh, minor hockey team, and we had played a team from the Paw Manitoba. And for the most part, the team was okay, Mm -hmm. but they had one player one player that was absolutely dominating and he probably scored like a dozen goals and he was literally unstoppable and it was Chris Constant and he was one of the he was the I believe he was the first captain uh, of the Libret Eagles in the SJHL back when my dad was uh, on the board of governors but when we were playing him I remember watching my own teammates and my own par- uh, the own parents on our, on our own team I get to that point where, where they were so flustered that the teammates were crying and starting to really lash out with the racial slurs. And you could also see the parents um, mm. starting to get worked up a bit. And, and you could feel the energy. That That's what I remember the most of it right now, is that you could feel this really weird energy because it's like these are my, my friends, my teammates. And... I get it. I felt the same way about him because he was dominating us, but I didn't go to that because that's not what I, (laughs) you know what I mean? I didn't go to that. It was really weird. 
Um, so that was the first time that I really acknowledged it or, or be kind of became aware of it. Uh, and then going on um, through like high school and playing with the Rams and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. You, you get the odd uh, racial slur or whatever it is. But by that time, uh, you kind of learn to, to deal with it. And not only that, kind of embrace it, right? Because I, I ended up becoming the, the First Nation sensation, right? And if you remember, every once in a while, I would kind of make the eye black on my oh, yeah. face look a little like paint or you know like i wasn't scared i wasn't scared to to kind of play it up so yeah when you play it up like that every once in a while so people will say something directly to you but i do remember uh one of my good friends uh from elementary school growing up in saskatoon we beat them they were the hilltops uh i don't remember what year it was but i do remember they were freaking out because they were done season was over and i got called a spear trucker and and i was like what like what does that even mean? Right, <laughs> right. Like I, I so I, like I, it really at that moment it was, it was kind of like it was a it was like a shake. My I didn't feel hurt. Honestly, I didn't feel hurt. It was it was like a really like what the f. Yeah, and and it was shake my head kind of a thing. And uh, but I do remember uh, years after uh, when I was uh, in Stampede Wrestling. And I ran into uh, a kid by the name of Dick Butkus Jr. He's not a kid, but uh, <laughs> back then he was, he was a kid at Stampede Wrestling, and he uh, James played for the Hilltops, and we talked about it, and and he and he brought it up. He he brought it up, and he was laughing about it because he also thought it was just the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> so 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 it was it was definitely one of those heat of the moment things, and it was a time in my life where, where I'd already built up enough of um of uh, uh immunity i guess to it where, where it didn't really bother me as much uh but uh, once once in wrestling i did because uh, in wrestling you get it all the time because you know imagine if you're nikolai volkov they boo the russian or if you're iron Sheik, boo the Sheik, yeah. or, or whatever it is um but you know trying to be a baby face as the as a younger uh wrestler trying to work baby face in a particular small town i won't say which one yeah um and I do remember a group of kids, and like not kids, like like twenty year olds to twenty six years old, maybe, yeah. uh, really, really getting getting on me hard uh, with the racial slurs and and just always laughing and making a spectacle of it. And I was not down for it that day. I was in the ring with Ruffy Silverstein, my buddy, and I I, I, I snapped, man. I said I looked toward them and I said, "Throw me out." And Ruffy threw me out, and I got uh, like they were sitting ringside, man. You imagine a, a guy sitting in the corner, like ringside, yeah. literally ringside. I went to the opposite corner when he sold me out. I said, "Come get me," and I and I and I was facing the kids, man. So literally, like twelve foot run, fifteen foot run. I said, "Throw me into him." He said, "What?" I said, "Throw me into him," and he <laughs> he grabbed me <clears throat> and he ran me right, yeah. and I went as hard. And I just flung myself at them like a like a bowling ball, and, and I knocked them over like bowling pins. And 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 you know, I, it was that moment that I like I snapped out of it because I just realized that was that's too far. That's too far. Right? Like I could either get piled on and beat up if they if they want mm-hmm. to, or I could get charged and end up in jail. Or what? There's nothing good. There's nothing good. I immediately felt that energy and knew that I was way over the line. Um, so I learned from that. I learned from that, and fortunately from then, uh, I pretty much just let anything. When I'm in the ring, anyone can say anything about me, and, and I and, and and I just won't say anything back. Like wow. I've just learned to be 
one out that is, is I could don't need to say anything back. That's a great uh, that's a great story, great insight. Uh, because I mean, I'm white. I don't I, that doesn't happen to me. Uh, I get called other yeah. things. I get called skinny. My legs are skinny, but nothing that <laughs> nothing that's I mean that's obvious. Anybody can see that. You know what I mean? Like it's not, not anything that uh, would would be overly offensive. Not not like you just uh, display there. Okay, before we wrap up here, here's the other thing that I've always marveled at. There are a lot of great. I remember coming up as a young kid playing hockey. Our first real big body contact tournament in Fort Capel. Yeah. Football players. Any. There are a lot of great native or First Nations hockey players or athletes yeah. in general that just fall between the cracks. So I yeah. like if they just had a good role model like you're trying to do, or somebody yeah. to set them on the right path or some organizations like kids sport. That's what we need. We need to f- try to get these kids because uh, sports is what it's all about, man. And it's not about wins and yeah. losses. It's about discipline, no. goal setting, no. teamwork, uh, and all that's yeah. all that shit that you could take from, from the, yeah. the playing surface to life. And that's what the native yeah. community needs. In my opinion, let me tell you a success story of what t- typical success story and what I love. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking of it. I've uh, been coaching kids uh, in hockey. And I, you know me, I'm not really a hockey guy. I'm just a sports guy and I'm yeah. a positive role model. So I got together with Chris Constant and uh, we uh, started coaching kids. And uh, there, there was a couple kids on this team that were really, really good. Like they were just skating around everybody and in terms of their talent, like just so good. Um, but I recognized the chip on my sho- on the shoulder because I had the same one. Cause, uh, so I saw the, the kids would like, something would happen and, you know, they would get, the referee wouldn't make a call or they would feel that they got tripped or something like that and they would, you know, slam their stick against the ice or slam their stick against the boards, come to the bench and throw their stick down and swear. And, and you know, a lot of coaches right away would shake their heads, but to me, hey, that's the kid I want to talk to because I get that. I get that. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll talk to them and, uh, and, and, you know, just tell them to try and chill out, try and control their emotions and do whatever we need to do to get through it. And, you know, taking these kids out for lunch and they're ordering duck soup, like asking, asking for duck soup in a restaurant and all this, and then seeing them however many years later, having moved on from the community and uh, playing uh, you know, elite hockey in some place in an urban center, and you you can tell that they're totally acclimated with their with their new life, uh, still in touch with their reserve and still in touch with their with their culture. Um, but but you know, open some new doors that never were open to them before. And to me, that I've seen that happen at least twice. Uh, you know, it's not a hundred times, but to see that happen uh, twice. Uh, that that's a big uh, that's a big win for me, and and that's a success to me. And I'm actually getting a little emotional yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thinking about these two guys because I saw them, you know, develop from where they were to where they are. And uh, if we can do that with more kids, that's 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 all we can do to start, right? And let them lead us. Yeah, you know. And my son worked out a couple of years ago with Ethan Bear with Rod Flair, uh, another guy that played with the Rams. He's a great trainer he- in town. And Ethan worked out. My Ethan worked out with Ethan Bear. Said he's a good kid. I was critical yes. of Ethan. I was critical of Ethan. Bear this year too in the playoffs, but it, it it made me sick to my stomach when you know I I criticized Ethan Bear like I would criticize two games before Connor McDavid for giving the puck away. I I didn't do it. I didn't do it based on race. But to see people right. still yeah. still do that, it's it it's it goes back to the second part you didn't answer. Has it gotten better? Are we are we getting better in society with regard to that from your vantage point or n- not really? 
Well, I, I think we're getting better in the sense that now we realize that, that it's not right. And now that we're calling it like we're calling it out and uh, and it's being penalized uh, more often. So I think that we are on the right path. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that, that it's, you know, gotten exactly where we need to, but we are moving in the right direction. And, uh, it's a, you know, we're getting to that point where uh, I actually saw when I was coaching uh, on the bench, uh, someone had made a comment under their breath, and, and one of the other boys uh, that was white or non-Indigenous, sorry, it sounds so rude. I hate that word. It's just, yeah. It sounds so but But, you know, so someone else had spoke up and said, hey, there's someone said this. Like so and so said racial slur, and then they the rep stopped everything, came over to the bench, and there was a little conversation, and it turned out that you know my son didn't actually hear what was said, so they 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 go ahead and and they you know let let it slide, and and that was okay. I didn't mind because at least they came over and he didn't hear what was said. Uh, but the fact that there was uh, you know a non-indigenous teammate that was actually you know standing up for it instead of you know maybe just because if you turn a blind eye. Then, then, then you're kind of tolerating it, right? Yeah. Um, but when you, get, when you get to the point where they're where they're seeing it, they're recognizing it, and they are calling it out, then hey, we're moving in the right direction. Wavel, yeah. uh, let's uh, talk about uh, how people can get involved in this uh, camp in August. It's in Saskatoon at the Canlan Ice Plex, but how can they get involved with this? Okay, so uh, as far as that camp goes, I believe there are uh, some spots left, uh, so they can uh, take a look at. Uh, I can be found on Facebook. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, and they're all uh, public open accounts. So you can find me on any of those social media accounts and just send me a message, uh, and I will uh, connect people that might want to attend the camps. Uh, or if there's any teams, uh, anybody out there that might want to uh, uh, take in one of our presentations and just see what we're all about, uh, we'd, we'd definitely be willing uh, to come, uh, you know, give people a look at it. And, of course, we are rolling out part of the presentation during this camp, the Maximizing Your Potential Camp in Saskatoon, August 2 to 5. Uh, so looking forward to that. And then also, uh, just to slide things on, on the personal side, um, I also uh, have a personal interest in, in reviving the Labrette Eagles name because uh, they were from the Star Blanket mm-hmm. Reserve, uh, which, is, which is my home community, and my dad was uh, part of the board of directors. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do like to stay involved. So I, I won't be coaching, um, you know, mainstream hockey, I guess, if you call it, but I will be coaching in the Indigenous tournaments, which will be about, you know, five tournaments a year or whatever. But I got brand new jerseys, brand new socks, shells, home and away to the Red Eagles, and looking forward to being a general manager and putting together one of the best under-18 teams in the province to travel and take them all over the place. That's awesome, man. This is the last question I wanted to ask, okay? And I know I could ask you because I'm not going to offend you, okay? Is it no is it First Nations? Is it Aboriginal? What what do you what does what do you guys like to be called? That's that's what I'd like to know. Yeah. I, that's a question I'd because uh, because yeah. like you said, you said white. I don't like to say that. Well, yeah. you know, you know you know what I mean. So what what should somebody me a white guy call uh you know call a person of your heritage? Right. Okay. So so for the most for the most part, if it was at work and you you weren't aware of you know where they came from, uh you know in terms of you know what tribe they were, then then you could. Uh, right now, the term is indigenous. Okay. Um. But I will say that that we do change that term every once in a while because it used to be native and then First Nation and then uh, Aboriginal and then Indigenous. So, so, I mean, we do, just like anything else in, in, in society, right, the, the things might rotate through. Um, however, most people as individuals are starting to refer to themselves as their tribe. So for me, it would be Cree and Dakota. Um, but of course, you wouldn't know that, and, and you know, until you asked me. So, uh, if you were to refer to me as Indigenous right now, that w- that would be perfect. 
Awesome. I'm glad you cleared that up because, uh, you know, you, you never you never know, and you don't know until you ask, right? Right, right. And, and, and also, there's also a little bit of, of a rejuvenation of the term Indian. And I know that it sounds, like, even just saying it sounds uh, derogatory, uh, but, but some people use it because uh, it's going back to the treaty relationship. Uh, in the treaties, the legal term for Indigenous people was, was actually uh, Indians and status Indians. And, and we still actually have the Indian Act. Um, yeah. which which applies for the time being. So so legally, it's still a term. So every once in a while, you may hear uh, some older folks generally uh, or some of the newer woke folks, I guess. Yeah, 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 woke folks. That's good. How how do you yeah. feel about, like, the Cleveland Indians or the Atlanta Braves or the, you know, the one of the, we talked hockey in this, the Chicago Blackhawks yeah. have one of the nicest uniforms in the history of any sporting team. Yeah. Uh, like, how do you feel yeah, about, man. how do you feel about that? It's a slippery slope, man. It's a slippery slope because honestly, I, I I still the Fighting Sioux was my favorite name. I, I like for me that's uh, I felt I felt proud of that name being uh, uh, Dakota, half yeah. Dakota. You know, yeah. there that and I know that I believe the Standing Buffalo lacrosse team still call themselves the Fighting Sioux. So something like a, it's a hard, slippery slope because how can I say that I love that name? Uh, and then, you know, maybe some, like the Eskimos name, for one. I, I don't really like that one. It's not because, it, like, I'm not Inuit, so it's not really up to me. But it is one of those generalizing kind of terms. Like, it's not even the, it's not even the, the correct term nowadays, right? Like, it's, I believe Eskimo is almost seen as, a, you know, borderline derogatory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so that one, so the Eskimos, yeah, that, that one probably needed to be uh, updated fighting sue i wish we could have kept and you know it's it's i hate to say this case-by-case basis thing but but really it depends on the energy behind it like if are they making fun of something or like for instance let's say a whole stadium of people doing a tomahawk chop that's tough that's a tough one because because like if they're doing it against you because you're a bad guy well then then it's a racial thing right but then what if it's me as the bad guy wrestler that's doing it to them then it's not really doing anything to destigmatize so 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 I am acknowledging that that you know I do play a role in in some of that and that some of it is just uh, some of it is kind of ridiculous, right? But it comes right down to the energy and the, the spirit intent behind it. If it, it, I, it. For instance, when I was in Louisville, my friends called me chief. And you know what? There was no, I had no problems with it. Because like you said, the, like the Native Americans in, in the States, like they're, they're kind of rare, right? It's, they're not, as, they're not the, as the main minority like, like mm-hmm. they are here, right? So to me, and because of, because of the energy behind it, they weren't minimizing me or belittling me or making fun of me. They were literally just, that's what my nickname was. Term of endearment almost. Term of endearment almost. Yes, yes, totally. And, and I know that, you know, uh, you, you hear that. I believe it was uh, Freddie Sasakamus uh, talks about how they, you know, they, they call me chief. It's kind of a common thing, kind of a common thing, um, but you go by that spirit and intent, the energy behind it. And I felt nothing but love when my friends down there were calling me chief. So there's no way that I would step in. If it bothered me, I would just say, and if they were my friend, then they would just change. Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It just, uh, I, I, I love the talk we just had. It's great to race is always a touchy race is always a touchy thing, but I think it's something we need to continue to have open dialogue about. So I can know, I can know some of the things going through your head. You can know some of the things going through my head and not everything is intended to be 
uh, critical or racial yeah. or, and sometimes I think we go too far in society with cancel culture. Like it, it we, we need to be yeah. mindful, but we can't get too stupid either. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's not get too stupid. Like let, let's, let's just monitor that energy kind of like we're talking about. Right. right. Yeah. And every once in a while too, it, it, there, there's, there's like different, um, like there's an ebb and flow, I guess, to, to depending on what's going on. Like for instance, right now with all of the uh, the news uh, in the about the residential schools and stuff like that, yeah. probably a better time to be a little bit more somber. And like if, you, if you've noticed, and rightfully so, like with the National Indigenous Peoples Day celebrations, like they, they are going on, but but like you know the people aren't really uh, you know promoting them or shouting them to the mountaintops like like we have in previous years. And I think that's okay. And, and I think it's appropriate to, to, to still go ahead and uh, go through with it. But at the same time, like, you know, let's acknowledge that right now, uh, you know, the country is in, is in kind of a state where we need to heal. And, you know, maybe now is the time where we just take it easy a little bit, right? Yeah, he used to be number 44 in your program with the Rams. Number one, people's, the people's champ right here at <laughs> Wavell Store. Thanks for this, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good luck in your fight, and I can't wait to see it. After further review, it looks like the receiver didn't catch the ball, but he tried really, really, really super-duper hard to catch it. So we're calling it complete and giving him a participation trophy. Time now for the second quarter of this podcast as we continue on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. The show, of course, coming to you from the Regina Sports Performance Center studio, and we're speaking with... University of Regina Rams coach Mark McConkie hoping to coach his first football season as head coach of this team finally after a long wait the off season that never ends how nice is it to finally have a schedule in your hand a concrete schedule where you can look at it and say okay we're starting this date and we're going here first uh, it's very exciting like you said it's been a long 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 off season uh almost two years now and yeah, I know I'm excited. Our coaches are excited and uh, our players are probably the most excited. So uh, it's just so nice to see, okay, we're playing in Manitoba week one and we're at home against Calgary and then bye week. So it's just nice to actually put dates and teams on specific uh, specific days and when we're playing and just get our season schedule sent out to the players. We had a team meeting last night where we went through it all. So I know our players are pretty excited about that. So break down the schedule for me. All things considered, I looked at it. You guys got to be pretty happy with that schedule, man. You look at Calgary and the U of S, they're beating each other up twice. You get those teams once each. Manitoba's not an easy space in the bingo card. That's not what I'm implying. But all in all, that's a pretty good schedule for you guys. Yeah, it's a great schedule. Um, I mean, not flying to BC is a good good thing for the mm-hmm. program. Uh, saves us a lot of money on flights and stuff. Um, but all in all, yeah, it's a great schedule. Uh, excited to be on the road week one. Uh, hope we can get a win there in Manitoba. And like you said, uh, it's, we, we play them twice, which is very good. We've had some success against them in the past few years. Uh, again, there's no easy game in Can West. I think anyone knows that. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're very excited for our schedule. And uh, I think we're going to, like I said, turn some heads. At some point during this whole 18 months, were you worried that this day wouldn't come? Were you concerned? Did you have a lot of sleepless nights? There's been many sleepless nights for sure. I think every head coach has had those uh, over the past year and a half. Um, but, no, I always had faith that we would have a season this year. I know how important it was for youth sports football to have a season, and even just for university sports to continue on this year, not just football, like all the sports. So I know they knew how important it was that missing two seasons can really impact uh, um, uh, sports in Canada, especially at the university level. So super thankful that Canada West and youth sports is 
given the green light to go ahead. And again, the health authorities, everything's starting to open up a little bit more. So it's really looking good uh, for next season. So you've got Calgary at home, then a break, then UBC at home. Like you said, you don't got to travel there. And Manitoba is your other home game in the regular season. We've said this before, in an eight-game schedule, you got to probably be 3-1 and one to have a good chance of making the playoffs. So I would suggest, Mark, that you got to at least be 2-1 and one in this schedule to have a good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think those Manitoba games are huge. Uh, it's a two-game total points, uh, home and away. So if we can go in and sweep Manitoba, that's two wins. Uh, and I think, yeah, three wins, I think, will get you in the playoffs in the six-game schedule. So we're hoping for more, um, but I think if we can take care of business uh, with Manitoba uh, and then beat Calgary, beat BC at home, I think that puts us in a good spot for heading into playoffs. What are you most excited about this team as you as a first-time head coach? Oh, I don't know. I'm excited about everything. Um, I mean, our defense made some massive strides last season. Uh, they were definitely the strength of our team. We were young on offense and at the quarterback spot and running back spot, but now those guys are a little bit older, more mature, got some more games under their belt, and even a guy like Josh Donnelly really took strides in those last two games, uh, the two big victories for us to end the year. So uh, I'm excited. I mean, our defense is looking strong. Uh, they love all of our guys back, and offensively, especially if we get number 22 back, uh, Kyle Borsa, we're going to be rolling. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited for the team. I think, like I said, uh, we're kind of the underdogs going into the season, and I'm good with that. I like being the underdog, and I think we're going to kind of <clears throat> turn some heads this year and take the league by storm. You know, uh, whoever uh, comes out of Can West, um, it, it's always the toughest because, in my opinion, the toughest conference. But then you guys got to play the winner of Quebec and then play the uh, the winner of Ontario in Laval because they host the Vanier Cup. I mean, this is a, this is a juggernaut. If you win it coming out of Can West, you deserve to win it. Absolutely, and that's what I've been preaching to our players uh, all off season is if we can win the Hardy Cup, we're going to be in the Vanier Cup. We're going to be Vanier Cup champions. That just seems how it how it always works here because we got the toughest conference. The only negative thing is we do beat each other up uh, usually in an eight game season schedule, then playoffs. So the team who usually comes out of Canada West is pretty beaten up by uh, early November. But maybe with the six game season schedule, we won't be as beat up uh, coming out of the West as champions. You're going to have to contain your own excitement because you're in charge of lots of men who will be pumped up and ready to go young guys, you know, in some cases, 18, you know, 19-year-old guys and then the older kids. But they're still young men. you got to be, as a first-time coach, really excited, but probably in the back of your mind looking, okay, i gotta, I got to make sure I'm uh, even keel too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know I've got to do a lot of work and lots of our coaches do and just to make sure we're very prepared uh very organized we know what's going to be happening on game day and we've done a lot of off-season work as coaches and with the leaders on the team to make sure we're prepared for this we're not just going to expect the players to know how to handle themselves during games and all those things so we've done a lot of the leg work on this a lot of the groundwork so i'm excited to see the uh, all of this pay off for us next season so uh, uh lastly maybe just give a shout out to those people that took part in the 50 50 again online 50 50 which really helped you guys to get some money in the coffers yeah, we're very appreciative of everyone that bought tickets for the 50-50. That's such a huge fundraiser for us. Again, without the riders having that season last year, uh, we took a took a big hit financially um, with the no 50-50 and no funds coming in. So we do appreciate everyone that did buy a ticket. Uh, I know our players are very appreciative of it as that money goes towards player scholarships, which helps these guys even be able to play university sports uh, in a lot of the cases. Mark, thanks for this. Congratulations. You're going to get a chance to patrol the sidelines as a head coach. Can't wait to see it, bud. Thanks, Ballsy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
this show would like to congratulate the class of 2021. Sure, we're not good looking or successful enough to be an actual commencement speaker. And we never graduated from, well, anything. But that's never stopped anyone in radio from talking. So remember, if you work hard and reach for success, life will probably still crush your dreams. And if you talk too much and wear age-inappropriate clothing, you too could one day be hosting a morning radio show. Wake up before the sun rises, write fart and booby jokes, and try to impress the chubby intern with dated music references. Good luck out there, graduates. And remember, if it doesn't go well, and it probably won't, you don't want the problems rich people have anyway. And it's time now for the third quarter of our Growing the Game with Ballsy podcast, which comes to you from the Regina Sports Performance Center studio. It's time to head up the highway and on the hotline again, brought to you by Hammer Time Roofing, which is located in Saskatoon. And that's where we're going right now to speak with the head coach of the U of S Husky, Scott Flory, whom I'm assuming is very happy to have an actual physical schedule now to look at. Yeah. 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 It gives, uh, you know, all the planning, all the talk, all the, you know, uh, hope, I guess, is, is finally put into in, into ink on paper, which is which is great to see. At any point during this 18 months or two years, whatever the hell it's been, were you worried you wouldn't see this day? Did you have many sleepless nights? Uh, no, I think it was just having some patience through the process. To be honest with you, Michael, it was just like you, you, we all knew. I mean, you, I mean, we can't you can't stay in the tornado forever. I mean, uh, that uh, we're going to come out of this. It's just a matter of when and having some patience through the process. And, and, and I know like just how strong sport community is and especially football and especially in this province and Western Canada. So we knew, we knew we'd be back. We just didn't know when and just really glad that we, uh, that this fall, that there's going to be football. You know, without getting into your kitchen, but I got to ask the question, how much of a financial hit did this uh, hurt you guys in terms of, uh, you know, the bottom line and, and will it hamper you going forward this year at all? There, there's no doubt that the loss. I mean, our athletic department does uh, does a great job across all sports of, you know, not only with football but within hockey with their new arena and and not having people there for sure, uh, you know, for sure. But I think our athletic department and, and Dave Hardy did a, a fantastic job of navigating it, and, and each coach did within their own uh, within their own bubble too of navigating uh, the pandemic and. And I think, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we're coming out of this uh, on a stronger foundation than uh, than we had uh, than ever before, in, in my opinion, especially uh, within the football realm. Okay, so give me one example how you guys got better. Maybe how you approach the offseason, how you approach maybe recruiting, how you uh, approach prepping for the season. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, with time, sometimes in especially in football, maybe I can't speak to other sports, but time is sometimes the coach's uh, worst enemy, right? Is they, you know, you end up the plays on the napkins and all that kind of stuff. But I think for us, uh, you know, especially after the season was canceled last June, uh, whenever that was June, early June, 2020, um, you know, we knew that we had to get connected as a football team. We knew we had to do it from a distance that we couldn't do it face to face. And we knew that we had to analyze every aspect of our football uh, top to bottom. So that's, that's, you know, when I, when I talk about that, I mean, that's, you know, obviously financially, but it's more so is just uh, um, the processes that we have in place and, and, you know, within recruiting, within coaching, within our playbook, within uh, how we prepare and, and what are we looking at and what's important. Uh, and I think that we had opportunity to be able to analyze that uh, top to bottom. Uh, and I've definitely, um, you know, there's been changes. I, I think that everybody has had that, had that no doubt. And, 
and we're we're no different in that. There has been changes in our processes coming out of this, and I think that we're going to be. I do. I really do believe that we're going to be better for it coming out of it. Okay, Scott Flory, uh, did you did you even though you've missed football so much, did you do a double take on that schedule? My goodness, you're on the road, Calgary, UBC to start. Like that is a that's not an easy feat, man. You got a tough schedule. Yeah, we don't have any friends in the scheduling department, I guess. <laughs> but hey, you know what? Though honestly, Ballsy, we get what we get, and that's what we're we're going to play anywhere, anytime, anyhow. We open up, you know, the defending Venue Cup champions at their homecoming. Then we go to BC, their longest road trip, and their homecoming. And we're gonna we're gonna take it. We're gonna embrace it, and we're gonna show up. And they're, we're gonna give them the best Husky football that we've got. And and yeah, man. And we're gonna give them. They're gonna be great games. So we, we're embracing it. Uh, you know, I, we can't change it, and we're not about to try. So uh, they, they give us what they give us, man, and we're, we're going to do our best with it. You know what struck me about this schedule, and I am not, I don't know how much you had a say in it or anything like that, but with teams being financially strapped, just as from an outsider's perspective, I don't understand why the Rams and Huskies didn't play twice, just for budgetary purposes. Not only that, but for <laughs> rivalry purses, uh, purposes. Same with Calgary and Alberta and those type of teams. Yeah, uh, first off, I have zero input on <laughs> I stay in my lane. I control what I can control, right? So right. that's one, number one. And number two is that they looked at it from a from a, a geographical standpoint. So UBC is the furthest to go. So they had, a, a my understanding, is a, kind of a flip of the coin. I don't know how that was picked, that they were going to play uh, one of the Alberta teams uh, second and then Manitoba to save them from going across Saskatchewan to uh, to Alberta or something that their their next closest was Regina. So it is it's based on proximity and kind of geographic. Uh, and then we got the other the leftover of the Alberta team, and it just ended up being that UBC was playing Alberta twice, and we're playing Calgary twice. All right. So uh, and and that makes sense and a good way to put it there. Thanks for that, Scott. I'll tell you what though, whoever comes out of Can West, be it you, be it the Dinos, whoever, Manitoba could be the Rams. Um, <laughs> You guys will have earned the Vanier Cup because you got to beat Quebec in the semifinals and then play in Laval for the Vanier Cup against the winner of Ontario. That is as tough as it comes. Yeah, hey, I, like, hey, we'll we'll take. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if you ever seen Goodwill Hunting, but my yeah. thing and is tell our team is, man, give give me the wrench. So uh, we'll take the wrench uh, every time, and it doesn't. That's that's. That's neither here nor there. Whoever comes out, we just want we just got to take care of our business, man. That's really all it's about. So, uh, but I will say I've been to Quebec City many times. I used to live out there, yeah. and early December in Quebec, it's beautiful. So I I, I hope we're we're there one way one how. Yeah. What uh, what are you most excited about for this football team? Is there a certain aspects, a certain position group, something we should be watching for? I, I'm just excited to, to to play again. I mean, we've we've had a chance. We've been lucky here, especially with our with our within our province of, of being able to uh, um, you know have the return to sport in in early June and and the the blessing of our institution to be able to do that and get back on the field with our guys. And uh, and, and yeah, it's you know just seeing the growth within the last few weeks of our guys, uh, and then you know kind of putting that plan together for the summer and then the training camp. So. I'm excited for our football team. I don't know what it's going to be. And that's the one thing coming out of this. You just don't know, Michael, that nobody, I mean, having not played a game in, in almost two years, um, the first, I mean, it's six games now. We're really shortened. And then the first little bit is for sure going to be feeling out. We're not going to be the only ones that have going to have evolved or changed. Every team is going to. So kind of where that uh, where that kind of falls, I think that, that back half, those back two or three games are going to be, uh, every 
one of them is going to be vitally important. Well, I'll tell you what, though. you got to be good in a couple of areas, and you're good at the quarterback spot with the guy, Mason Nice, who's been in your system for a while, so that should help. And this long off season would help him and you strategize some more. I know he was uh, he was talking to me on an earlier interview about how he's enjoyed working with you. you got Adam Mackert back, the best back in the league. And you get Calgary early, the defending champs from a couple of years ago with the new quarterback in Josiah Joseph, who is getting a shot at his first time starting. So I'd rather have Calgary right at the start. I know you get them right at the very end too, but uh, those two games are going to be very key as to how this thing's going to shake down in the Can West. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's playoffs every week, <laughs> and then to get the, the defending champs who, you know, our last game was a loss in their house to go back into their house and and try to reclaim, uh, you know, reclaim it, uh, you know, and, and trying to get a, a win there versus a very well coached, a very athletic, very disciplined football team that I, I got a ton of respect for. So, yeah, it, it'll be a great litmus test for us for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just looking forward to. I know the excitement and you know and that opening whistle goes and that kickoff whosever foot it leaves man there's gonna be a lot of emotion racing down that football field dude we forgot about this uh, at least i have i've talked to cfl guys about this trying to put two draft classes in one training camp but you had two recruiting classes scott flory uh just maybe revisit that for us and talk about your recruiting classes and how excited you are to see what those guys can do in training camp yeah i think I, I felt this early on, Ballsy. There's there's kind of two things you can do, especially when missing so much time. You can you can either rebuild or retain. And I'm I'm a huge retention guy. I don't recruit a ton of guys. I go after you know small you know kind of 20, 20 guys a year kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and big on retention and development. And and I'm really excited to you know we had a chance last fall to be able to have a couple of months uh, be able to develop those young guys. The 2020s coming in, and and hopefully these these 2021 guys will get up to speed pretty quickly. But you know, the core of your football team is, is how you're going to win games is, is going to be on that retention side, is keeping those, you know, those the three, four, fifth-year guys. Those are going to be the guys that are going to be the heart and soul. Um, they're, the, they're your leaders. They're, they're the pulse of it, and they're, they're how, you, uh, and how you go. And I'm excited for those guys to be able to, to, to play again. Hey, let's rewind to a question I had earlier, Scott, talking about getting better or approaching things differently. Will, will recruiting look different for teams and maybe more specifically your team going forward in terms of, you know, how much you put into the budget to go out and recruit or bring guys in because we found out in this pandemic we can do a lot with technology now, i.e. Zoom and that type of stuff. Yeah, you, you can. Uh, with all due respect, it's no... Uh, I, I, I want to sit in a room and I want to look mm-hmm. a kid in the eye. There isn't one kid that I sign that I don't see play live or at least sit in a living room and have a conversation face-to-face with and get the sense of their you know if they fit into our program and what we do so that part of it yeah there's going to be some initial stuff and zoom and you know the technology is, is there and evolving um but at the at the end of it you, it's, it's a human contact it's about people um i don't care how talented you know kids are or anything like that anybody really is you know there's 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 a whole bunch of stuff that goes into my evaluation process of, of the people that I bring into our program, and that's not going to change um, because, I mean, we are dealing with people. At the end of the day, it, it's all about people and, and those relationships, and uh, that for me is not going to change. You were involved in a car crash on every play in your career as an offensive lineman, a Canadian Football Hall of Fame career, so let me ask you in this long in this long offseason, did you learn patience, or did you spend a lot of time in the weight room throwing the weights around? <laughs> a little bit of both, I suppose. I, I mean, 
you know, I mean, it's a part of our core values, though. So it, within within my football program, is is patience is one of our core values. So uh, it, it just fits in kind of with our with our uh, our, our program and our, our mantra and how we develop and how we retain guys and and who we want to be. So it it's. It's it's part of our deal, and the guys understand that. You know, I, I preach a lot about incrementalism and 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 just get better each and every day. I, I as I tell our guys, you know, the stasis doesn't exist. You're either get better or you're getting worse. So uh, we've we've found a way. I believe. I hope uh, when when the fall comes that we we will have uh, incrementally gotten better throughout this whole process. But patience is is without a doubt a part of our our core and, and what I preach. So. It, te- it don't get me wrong, Baldy. It was tested uh, many times, but uh, but but we're coming through it. All right, man. I can't wait to see you guys on the field. It's a sprint to the finish line. It should be fun. Thanks for this, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Well, to steal a line from wrestling legend, the Honky Tonk Man, the vaccines are starting to flow like wine, Ed. Remember the 1990s? It was glamour shots. Glamour photography shops were in a lot of North American malls. And now, get ready for Chad and Ballsy's COVID shops. Instead of taking a selfie when you get vaccinated, Chad and Ballsy have set up photography studios wherever you get your vaccines. Celebrate you being fabulous and capture that just vaccinated look forever. Oh, that's good. Show a little bit more arm. Dip the shoulder down. Yes, nice. Give me that seductive look that says, I got mine. Yes, I could do without the duck lips. Not necessary. Chad and Ballsy COVID shots. Contoured makeup and big hair extra. And it's time now for the fourth quarter of Growing the Game with Ballsy. And as you know by now, the Canadian Senate has passed Bill C-218, which will legalize single-game betting here in Canada. It's into its final phase now, Royal Assent, which is basically a rubber stamp. So this could be a potential windfall for Canadian professional sports and the Hail Mary that the CFL is looking for financially. The guy who spearheaded the movement to get this bill into reality and get the wheels of politics moving is Saskatoon Grasswoods MP and former Saskatoon sportscaster Kevin Waugh. He is joining us on the Hammer Time Roofing Hotline. Well, Kevin Waugh, I would say you're the man of the hour. You had this plan to get legalized uh, single game day betting in Canada, and it looks like it's going to get rubber stamped now. Uh, how do you feel, man? Yes, you made some positive change, and, and I feel like it could be the Hail Mary the CFL needs. Absolutely. I've been talking to CFL officials. Uh, Because of this bill passing 218, we're just waiting for royal assent now. You know, when the CFL didn't play last year, where do you get new revenue, right? Everybody's looking for new revenue options and nobody can find any. Well, this is where the CFL is going to get it because they can sell their stat packages now. They can get advertising in every CFL stadium. Uh, and I think this is going to prop up the CFL. I think each team can get a million and a half, two million a year. And you think of their payroll, a ballsy of two uh, at five million a year. And if I can, with this bill passing now, if we can even give them a million a year, that's nine million, one million each team. Wow, what a way uh, to get over the pandemic and start the rebuild that the league needs. Well, Kevin, you're absolutely right, and uh, you're the perfect man to do it because you had such a rich sports background as a a great sportscaster here in Saskatchewan. I mean, this is something, you know, you know, there's talk about maybe merging with the XFL and everything like that, and I don't know where that goes, but to me, this is the more... um, 
reputable way to go, at least as far as I can see right now with uh, without knowing any of the backdoor dealings. I really like where this goes. And, you know, there's a lot of offshore betting. So it's $14 billion that Canadians are betting now on single-game yeah. events. Uh, Ten under the gray-black economy, and then four on the offshore site. So I think we can get that back over time, uh, all of it, uh, certainly a good portion of it. It's up to the provincial governments now uh, to, to proceed and, you know, try to find a way that uh, consumers now, this is just another option for them. But it's a big option, as you guys know, because with sports, there's engagement. And the CFL and other leagues need that engagement. We need to keep viewers and listeners uh, motivated to the fourth quarter and this is the perfect bill to bring this together. The timing was perfect for this. We're coming out of a pandemic. People need to be entertained. And, and this is part of it. This is part of entertainment. And I know there are people out there that are totally against gambling. I see that. But the provincial governments now, through this, are going to have some funds available, maybe a little more for addictions and mental health. And that's a good thing. So I'm hoping that the provincial governments, coast to coast, will look at this because there will be revenue coming to them. Use the revenue. I will say this. The province of B.C. is way ahead of everybody. I suspect that they're going to have single-game betting by the first week in July. And they're going to put it on their playnow.com app. And they've been in contact with us every week. And so British Columbia is weeks, if not months ahead of everyone else. So how this rolls out in Saskatchewan will remain to be seen here. Very interesting, Kevin. Tell you what, I'm not much of a baseball guy, but I started getting into baseball. And I I like to gamble, but not anything that would uh, risk my uh, house or anything like that, a mortgage payment. But I'll bet five bucks here, ten bucks here. It's it's something to watch, something like, let's say, a Cincinnati-Milwaukee game that I really wouldn't care about. But I've got five bucks on the Brewers, on the over-under, or something like that. uh, really, it, it adds to the fun of the game, which would maybe bring some younger demographics into the CFL, something they've already got me and you, Kevin. We need the younger guys like my son and daughter that want to watch this game. That's exactly right. And uh, the league knows that. They've kind of missed out on that 18 to 30 age group, I think, and not in Saskatchewan, but, you know, certainly down east in, you know, the Ottawa's and Montreal's. This may be a way to get that back. And, you know, marketing is key to every sport. We all know that. And the CFL, because they didn't play last year, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And they're going to have to have a big push come August here to get fans back into the game. And we all know our province is rider crazy in that, but, you know, for the sake of the BC Lions, for the sake, uh, you know, of the Montreal's and the Ottawa's and so on, they desperately need this bill to give fan anticipation. And I think we're going to get that in August. Like you said, if the governments can work things out, if teams can put their brains around it and, and wrap their heads around this, here's what I picture. You walk up, I've always said this, Kevin, you walk up to Mosaic Stadium, for instance, in Regina here, or BC Place. You can, uh, I can get my 50-50 ticket, I can get my beer, my hot dog, and I can buy a ticket right there at the stadium and who's going to win the game. Or I can uh, bet on if Mike Riley's going to throw for over 250 yards in the first half 
half or Cody Fajardo, will he lead the team on a game-winning drive here as the fourth quarter starts? I should be able to do all of that. And I think uh, that would add, uh, obviously, to people coming to the games and just to the excitement. Is that how you kind of envision it eventually, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think the writers have been in great discussions with the Saskatchewan Indian Gaming Authority. And they want that experience. When you come to Mosaic, I I can see the day we're going to have stations throughout the stadium where you can come up and, you know, bet the second quarter if you want or third quarter and do the proposition bets that you're saying. Um, The writers want fan engagement. The CFL needs fan engagement. We have a deal today with TSN. The more eyeballs they get in the fourth quarter, the more money they get. Well, they're not getting any of that fourth quarter bonus money. This will be a way for fans to stick in there with two minutes left in the fourth quarter if the game is, you know, within distance of seven or whatever Mm -hmm. the line was or the over and under. So the league has a caveat with TSN. The more eyeballs later in the fourth quarter, the more money they get. Mm -hmm. So everybody wins. TSN wins because eyeballs are on the game and the CFL wins because everyone's watching the game. Kevin, you're a difference maker in politics. You just proved it. You you really spearheaded this thing, but you're also a a pretty accomplished sports guy uh, on the scene here in Saskatchewan. So let me ask you this question. How do you feel about the future of the CFL going forward, even with talks, let's say, with the XFL? I'm I'm not real. uh, I guess I'm maybe stuck in the mud. I'm not real uh, excited about change that way, but how do you feel? Yeah, I'm with you. I I did not like the... uh, the early announcement, they were in talks with the XFL. We've seen it before when, you know, back a few decades ago where we had to take our football to the United States. I think Canadians, this is this league, the CFL, has been operating in this country for over 100 years. It's almost a heritage league, and I think it needs to stay Canadian. Now, whether you change the rules on how many Canadians play and how many imports, uh, that's a discussion for the league. But I think you look at the CFL, and it's a true Canadian league. There's not many professional leagues that can say that. Yeah, the NHL has Canadian cities involved, but the CFL is all Canadian. And once, you know, if we get the Halifax, the Maritimes involved, it's truly a Canadian league. So I'm not for the XFL, but I see where the CFL's coming. Um, you know, they're strapped for cash right now. There's no new input for money coming in. They're looking at ways just to survive, and that was one of the ways they looked at. I'm hoping this bill gives them a lifeline for for at least a few years to get their house in order and move forward. Kevin, thanks for this, man. I really appreciate everything you're doing uh, in Ottawa. Hey, it's always nice to talk sports with a guy like yourself. Take care. We're looking forward to August the 6th, the home opener. It's time for the gospel according to Ballsy. Well, summer's officially here, and that means you've got an agenda to complete. At least you should. Here are the top things, in my opinion, that should be on your summer bucket list. Everything that was on last summer's bucket list. Get back into the non-elastic pants you were wearing pre-quarantine. Finish at least three paperbacks about a married white woman who suddenly vanishes. Nail every player on the Lakers and Clippers. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's on Kim Kardashian's summer bucket list. Could be on yours, I don't know. Another thing that should be on your summer bucket list, in my opinion, now that we're opening up some, have random Tinder hookups without masks. Thankfully, I don't have to go to a dating site. Hold a small funeral for your brain cells after sitting through Fast and Furious 9. That comes out real soon. 
<laughs> I personally can't wait for it. Another thing that should be on your summer bucket list, revisit places you haven't seen in the past year. A store, a church, strip joint, <laughs> the casino on Sass Drive, and end a camping trip five days early because everyone's miserable. Like camping, come on. Why would I work 48 weeks out of the year to live like I'm homeless for the other four weeks. Now glamping, that's another story. The Gospel According to Ballsy is brought to you by Advantage Collision in Saskatoon and Prince Albert. Choose Advantage Collision because they care about your safety. This has been Growing the Game with Ballsy. If you have a football story you'd like to share to help us grow the game, email Michael Ball at mball at harvardbroadcasting.com. Ballsy can be heard weekdays in Regina on 104.9 The Wolf Morning Show and during Saskatchewan Rough Riders and U of R Rams broadcasts on 620 CKRM.